looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 in the Bibles. If there's a Bible provided in the pew, if you do not have one. 1 Peter chapter 3, and I probably couldn't plan this any better, but uh, I'm in 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm stopping at verse 7. We're just looking at one verse today, but this verse, of course, has is flowing from what has already been said in 1 Peter, and um, we have been looking at and learning about uh, submission, and I said already that submission is... Um, Really, when the word actually submit means to put oneself under the authority of another or to take a subordinate place. And then there was an additional uh, understanding to that definition that it is a voluntary selflessness. Submission, which is based on the death of pride and the desire to serve. And of course, submission is God's structure for things. It's found in the Word of God. And, of course, submission produces unity. It, it produces fellowship. Unity is enhanced through submission, and I already mentioned that submission is enhanced to God through the Word of God, uh, where people are obeying the Word. And then, of course, submission to God uh, through His will, that we're desiring to know the will of God concerning our life, concerning our relationships. And then, of course, submission to God through His authority. Uh, those are the things that we've been looking at in Scripture here. And now, this morning, last time we, when we met, we were introduced to a third application of a Christian's responsible behavior. And, of course, of course that was... Um, that the wife's response, responsibility to her unsaved husband, and not only to her unsaved husband, but to any woman using those principles to any husband, uh, saved or not, would work. And so that's what she's to do. And so the Christian, the Christian wife's responsibility in the way she submits to him uh, before God. And this Lord's Day, we are going to be looking at the fourth application of the Christian's responsible behavior, and that is a Christian husband's submission to God on behalf of his wife. And so the scripture we're looking at today is right there on the screen and, of course, in the Word of God where it says in verse 7, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord, I pray as we look at this passage of Scripture, and as we consider this day, Lord, Mother's Day, that, Lord, you have raised up mothers uh, to have children and then, Lord, to be able to, those Christian mothers who have taught their children the word of God, and you have raised up from their teaching godly seed, and Lord, as they receive that, they, Lord, now grow up and have an opportunity sometimes to be married, how often they do, and Lord, then they should live out the principles of the word of God. But Lord, if someone 
was married and did not know you yet, then, Lord, they didn't know what to do. They, they still don't know what to do until they come to the word of God. And they, they desire to know your will. They want to know what is God's will concerning how a husband is to treat his wife, and uh, which is going to be the mother of his children. And I pray that we would learn that well and that we would practice these principles found here today in our daily life. And I pray, Lord, because of it, you would receive the glory and that you would keep unity not only in the church but also in the family. And I pray this in your name. Amen. It has been said that husbands must be the thermostat in the home, setting the emotional and spiritual temperature. The wife often is the thermometer, letting the husband know what exactly is the temperature. And she's usually good at that. So both are needed, though. One leads and one helps that person lead to make a strong home. So husbands, you need to know how to set the emotional and spiritual thermostat and then learn to maintain a comfortable atmosphere. Thanking, thankfully, of course, the Lord has given us men help on how to maintain a comfortable temperature by taking responsibility as a man after God's own heart, or as in this passage, a man who desires as a goal to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, which we already saw in the passage of Scripture. That is his goal. So then the husband is to put every effort into into his submitting to God especially God's design for marriage in behalf of his wife. Some time ago, there was a woman named Ann Landers. Some of you may have remembered her. She was called the the answer lady. Uh, She wrote a column entitled, uh, she actually, she wrote a column every week in the newspaper about different issues, especially marital issues. But she wrote a a title one day called Ann Answer lady has no answers. And the reason why she wrote that is because she acknowledged after 36 years of marriage, she was divorcing. She expressed her astonishment that it it could even have happened to her. They once had a very good relationship. Ann Landers' perplexing question was in her article, how did it happen that something so good turned out so bad. And she says when when they married, they enjoyed each other. They liked each other. They were friends. They were lovers. They were confidants. They were excited about each other. But over the years, their relationship began to deteriorate. Affection turned to apathy. Excitement turned to exasperation. Attraction turned to aversion. Enjoyment turned to enmity. So she asked the question, how did it happen? Well, it's safe to say most couples who marry do not marry because they don't enjoy each other. They marry because they do enjoy each other. They are excited about each other. They don't get married because they hate each other. 
But all too often, this has changed for many couples. Ann Landers' situation is not an isolated incident. Of course, we all know that very well. Sin abounds in marriage. Probably the best place to be sanctified by the Spirit of God is in a married, maritable, marital real relationship. But, you know, it, it really doesn't have to be that way. It is possible for married people to remain sweethearts through the entirety of their lives. If, yes, that's a big if, if both husband and wife make and fulfill certain obligations, certain commitments that has been given to them in the word of God. So that's what marriage is in God's eyes. It's a commitment. And marriage wasn't man's invention, something, some, something socially convenient for a time, but now today is outdated. No, marriage is today, from the beginning of time till now, God has ordained this institution. This is one of the institutions God has given us, and it is a good institution. And it can be abused, though but it also can be rendered good at every phase of life. So if certain obligations are maintained, the husband can supply the physical, the intellectual, the emotional, and the spiritual needs of his wife and family. He is, he's able to do that. And so that's what we see in the Word of God and in our passage of Scripture it says there that the husband, in the same way, that means in the same way, like their wives and like everyone who wants to live holy and godly lives and like the Lord himself has to submit. So in the same way refers back to the obligations of the wife just as she is to be holy, one who trusts in God, one who adorns the gospel in subjection to her own husbands in a similar way, but in a different way. Husbands are given by God certain specific obligations toward his wife. Now, that first obligation is this. The husband should have a considerate obligation to live with his wife. Why do I say that? Because right in our passage... It says, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives. Now, I want to say this, that there's a difference, though. It's not defined in Scripture that a husband is to be submissive to his wife. He is not. He is to be submissive to God. And he's to be submissive to God as far as his responsibility is to his wife. So... It's defined in Scripture as a husband, not submission to the wife, but responsibility toward her. Husbands are continually to live with their wives while following in the footsteps of Jesus. And Jesus, what, he, what did he do? He continues to love his church. So husbands, because you are the head of your wife, you are not to submit to her, but you are to submit to God's will and to love her as Christ loves the church. That's what the Scripture tells us. Now, 
That includes many things, but I just want to mention two of them. First of all, it includes this. It includes intimacy. This really goes back to the Old Testament in a passage of Scripture in Genesis where it says in Genesis, a husband is called, in other words, to fulfill his marital duties and to love his wife and to dwell with her. It actually meant to dwell in a tent. Right? Usually when you dwell in a tent, there's not many places you can go uh, but the tent, right? And so husband is to dwell in the tent with his wife, all right? And so from the Old Testament passage in Genesis where it says this, the man said, and in this, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In verse 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, Ephesians says the one flesh is a, is a great mystery, but the Bible says you become one, one unit before God. So to leave your parents means that your relationship to your parents must be radically changed. It means that you must establish an adult relationship with your parents. It means that you must be more concerned about your mate's ideas, opinions, and practices than those of your parents. It means that you must not be slavishly dependent on your parents for affection, for approval, for assistance, for counsel, for financial stability. It means that you must eliminate any bad attitudes towards your parents or you will be tied emotionally to them regardless of how far you move away from them. It means that you must stop trying to change your mate simply because your parents do not like him or her or the way he or she is. The bottom line is this. It means that you make the husband-wife relationship your priority relationship. Remember, the priorities of a Christian is God first, and then husband and wife, right? Not kids, husband and wife. You're not married to your kids. You'll never be married to your kids. When your kids grow up, they leave the home. So when the, when the kids grow up and leave, you end up, husband and wife look at each other and say, who are you? It's because you haven't been developing a relationship with each other, right? No, you're married to your wife always, so she's always under God, and that's your responsibility. Also, a second thing that comes underneath that is that of a provider. Now, we would all uh, agree with this, that he is to provide a place to live. He is to work to supply the needs. Uh, it's clear in Scripture where it says in First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, an infidel, it says in the old King James. So most men don't have a problem working. But for some, that is where their commitment to their marriage begins and ends. And that's absolutely wrong. Work, but don't get so busy that you don't develop your relationship 
and don't make work an excuse for skirting your God-given responsibilities as a man. See, God's kind of marriage involves cleaving to one another in sickness and in health, in poverty and wealth, in pleasure and pain, in joy and sorrow, in good times and bad times, in agreements and in disagreements. See, God's kind of marriage means that people know that they must face problems. They must discuss them. They must seek God's help in them. They must resolve them rather than run from them because there's no way out. They are committed to one another for life. That's God's view of marriage. So they must cleave to one another today and tomorrow as long as as they both shall live. That is God's design. Oh, but you say, wait a minute. Sin has complicated things. Sin has complicated marriage. But remember, salvation reorients both the man and the woman as to what marriage actually is. You know what? In reality, there's really no textbook on how to have a good marriage, except one, the Bible, right? Because the Bible tells you to have a relationship with God first, how to be made right with him through Jesus Christ, all right? And then when you're made right with him through Jesus Christ and God gives you his spirit, and now you have a hunger for the word of God, all right, what's going to happen next? You're going to want to do what God wants you to do, right? So he gives you a desire to work your marriage out, even though before you wanted to give up or you wanted to get out or you had the mindset, well, if it doesn't work, I'll just get a divorce. That's not what God intended. God intended us to be married forever. So that is the first principle. The second obligation that comes underneath that is that the husband should have a cooperative obligation to handle his wife with a with a mindful sensitivity all right now if you look if we look at the text again it says you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman that's what scripture says the word understanding is actually the term that we get the root word to know In other words, the husband is to dwell with his wife in an understanding way, getting to know her. That is, with an intelligent recognition of the nature of the marriage relationship. So a Christian husband is to live with his wife in an understanding way with a mindful sensitivity. That means ever gathering and gaining knowledge about his wife. I often say in our marriage premarital counseling sessions, that's going to take men the rest of your marriage to figure her out. You never stop figuring her out. And the reason why, there's different phases of of life in marriage. There's different ways of dealing with things. And so, see, the Christian husband, actually, the Bible is saying, needs to know his wife. And you know what, men? Don't say that you know your wife until you know her. 
The day you get married and say, I do, is not the day you know her. The day when you die, you may be able to claim that you knew your wife. Because especially if you've been growing in the knowledge and the wisdom of the Word of God, and then you've been growing together spiritually, and that you've been learning the Word of God, and the Word of God's been transforming your mind, and now you really do pay attention to what you ought to. See, a Christian husband needs to know his wife. She, he needs to know the moods of his wife. What makes her moods change? The feelings of her, his wife. What makes her happy and sad? The thoughts of his wife. Now, he cannot get into her head, but he could understand that a woman, they say, thinks from four different perspectives. A man thinks probably from one perspective. The mind of a wife is, is what she thinks. The emotions is how she feels. The will is what she wants. The spirit is what God wants her to do. All those things. And what does she really need in her life at different points in her life? What does she fear in her life? especially different times of life. There may be different kinds of fears your wife may have, the woman may have. What are her hopes? What are her dreams? What does she want to see accomplished in your marriage? See, all those things men need to get to know concerning their wife. See, God has given Christian husbands an important task of which there should be no excuse to claim ignorance. But I must warn Christian husbands that there are several things that are deadly to the process of living with your wife in an understanding and a considerate way. And it's this. The first one is the spirituality killer. And what is that, you say? Well, it's leaving the Lord out. It's not putting God first in all things. It's worrying about spinning all the plates and not trusting God for what God's provided to you and given you. See, husbands, you need to purpose in your heart to serve God wholeheartedly. In other words, taking the initiative in spiritual leadership. Men, you need to lead spiritually. That is your job. You're the head. You are to lead your wife spiritually. Your wife is not to pull you by a chain in spiritual matters. She is not to prod you in spiritual matters. No, that needs to end. You need to take on the lead and follow the Lord. And if you do that, she will follow you. But if you don't, that's a spirituality killer. There's an intimacy killer too. Hurting her with your tongue. Being insensitive and unkind with hurtful words. Often short and angry, demanding. It's to be show her that you're not attentive, you're not thoughtful, you're not trustworthy, you're not responsible. See, those are things that will not help your marriage. 
Remember, we're, sp- we're to speak words that are edifying, that are of good report, that are lift- uplifting in our home. One survey revealed that the average husband and wife had 37 minutes a week together in actual communication. Did some math on it. Hope my math is right, but there's 1,440 minutes in a day, 10,080 minutes in a week, 525,600 minutes in a year. Now, if you divide that up, that means in the course of a year, you would have talked to your wife about seven minutes a day. So when your wife brings to your attention, men, that you don't talk to her enough, consider this, that she's most likely right and the math is on her side. So in other words, you and I are in trouble. And if you miss a day, it's even worse. So we need to talk to each other. And I, and I, don't, you know, I don't mean chit-chat, how was your day, what was the weather like, you know, uh, but you engage in actual conversation that gets into some spiritual things and in-depth things and things that are substantive about what's going on in each other's lives. That's what we are talking about. So see, there's intimacy killers. But there's also social killers, and I'm not going to spend time with that one, but it's really spending and using money incorrectly. Communication and finances in marital counseling are big ones. They're They're the top two, three that... Uh, counselor has to deal with all the time. See, the family and home are meant to be the environment where human beings can find shelter, warmth, protection, safety in each other, a place that they could have a good conversation, a place to find kindness and support. Husbands, you need to be committed to knowing and understanding your wives. It's your job by God to do that. That's how he designed it. If you want to be happy yourself, you want to follow that. All right, then also in our passage of scripture, we see this, that husbands, secondly underneath that, need to know their their wife is different. Again, in our passage of scripture, notice what it says in verse 7. It says, after it says, to dwell with her in an understanding way, as someone who is weaker since she is a woman. Now, that could bring up some controversy, uh, just saying it like that, but that's what the Bible says. The husband, is, but it's what it's saying to us is that the husband realized that your wife is different. So in spite of what the culture is saying about how men and women are both alike, the Bible is stressing here that there is a marked difference between a man and a woman and that Christian husbands are to acknowledge the proper relation of the sexes in God's design and act with tenderness and wisdom and understanding. Now, why is the Christian husband to consider his wife? Well, because he dwells with someone who is weaker, who is delicate. All right, now, there are several understandings to that. The first one is that she is human, in her human body, there's physical weakness there. She's different in body structure and function. It points really to, the, in 
inferior physical strength and frailty of a woman. It also can mean that some say that, that it means emotionally weaker. That's probably not true to a certain extent, or positionally weaker as being subordinate. But it also can mean someone who is to be a prized vessel, or that the woman is a fragile vessel from the man's point of view, from God's point of view. Uh, So regardless of how somebody would understand weaker vessel, it really brings us to the place where the husband needs to care for his wife. She is not weaker mentally or morally or spiritually. She is weaker in, in a physical sense, in a muscular sense. Now, there are exceptions, but man is stronger when it comes to physical accomplishments and endurance. According to Dr. Paul Popino, founder of the American Institution of Family Relations in Los Angeles, he, de- he, he actually dedicated years of research in the area of the biological difference between men and women. He, here are some of his findings. He said that on average, man possesses 50% more brute strength than women. 40% of a man's body weight is muscle. A woman is only 23%. That women are different in that they have several unique, important functions. Of course, menstruation, pregnancy, lactation. are Also, women's hormones are often different of a different type and more numerous than man's. Woman's vitals, a woman's vital capacity uh, or breathing power is significantly lower than a man's due to her smaller lungs. Also, women's blood contains more water and 20% fewer red blood cells. Since the red cells supply oxygen to the body cells, women tire more easily and is, they are more prone to faint. Now, those are some things that people have discovered about the woman. The point being there that the woman is different in her body structure, in her strength, in her endurance. Now, But the point in Scripture is that the word vessel or container, the word is used to refer to a really a clay jar or some beautiful, fragile vase, which was not built for strength, but was built to be displayed by someone. So these were usually put in high places and places of honor so that they could be protected from damage or harm. So in other words, the Christian husband are to treat their wives like a beautiful, fragile vase that if misused or abused, could reach, it could reach a breaking point and a possibly irreparable damage in the relationship. She is termed weaker, not for intellectual or moral weakness, but purely for physical reasons, which the husband must recognize with due consideration for marital happiness. He needs to treat his wife as a delicate person, uh, someone who's to be treated delicately. And this leads into the next thing the Bible says to the husband about his, his obligation. 
and it's this. And this is the third thing. The husband should have a careful obligation to treat his wife with honor. If you notice again in our text, it says here in the word of God, well, it says, since she is a woman and show her honor. Honor basically means to attach high value to, worth or importance to a person or thing. So the husband should give honor to his wife because his wife is equally God's vessel and God gives honor to her along with you as fellow heirs of the riches of Christ. Now, let me just look at the passage of Scripture where it says this, that she is someone who is weaker, yet show her honor. Show her that. In other words, treat your wives different. Treat them as different to you in one way and equal to you in another way. That is in spiritual privilege and eternal importance. So the Christian wife is in view here in Scripture. And why should the husband honor, show honor to her? Really, there are two reasons why. First, that she is the joint heir with him in the grace of life. Now, that's an interesting That's an interesting statement, that she is a joint heir with him in the graces of life. What what does that mean? Well, that the woman has the same equal spiritual rights as the man, that God's given her life as a gift. He's given her marriage as a gift. He's given her children or heritage as a gift, but also eternal life through Christ is a gift. So God's gift of eternal life belongs to the woman as well as the man and all the benefits that go with that. So this is what it says in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this is dealing with the the benefits of salvation that were on equal ground when it comes to salvation, that eternal life through Christ is a gift for the man. It is a gift for the woman. So they both have Christ and are partners together in the Lord. They are heirs of God's gracious gift of everlasting life. So because of that, They don't work against each other. They should work with each other. They should work together. For what reason? To establish a Christian home, to raise children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to be active members and support their local church and its ministries together, and to provide a measure of stability in their community. And then also Christians are to be the moral and spiritual pillars of a nation. It's the church that keeps the moral and ethical standard of a nation. As soon as the church gives it up, there is no more standard. As soon as the world throws God out, then there's no responsibility to anyone uh, above them or anyone who has authority over them. And so the church is to present the message of the gospel and also to present that they 
there's a moral and ethical code that they can deliver to the world and say, this is the way one should live. And how do you live that way? Well, you follow the Lord. In fact, there's a passage of Scripture in um, Psalm 128 that kind of brings all those things together. And this is what it says. It says this, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And that, you know, that word blessed, blessing means that God is near to you for good, as opposed to cursing, that God's against you for evil or for bad. See, those are the, when you see the word blessed, that it means that God is near. He's in the equation. He is in your life, and that's why the blessings come, that God gives you a happy life because he is involved with all the aspects of your life, and so there are benefits that come to you because of that. So getting back to this next thing is that, listen, She is joint heir with him in the grace of life. So why should a husband honor his wife? What's another reason why he should honor his wife? Well, here's the second reason, and it's this. That if he he does not treat his wife correctly, that the Christian husband's fellowship with the Lord is all messed up. Again, Our passage of Scripture says this, she's heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. This is specifically talking to the man, that the Christian husband should surely not want to damage their relationship in their marriage because it messes up their own spiritual life, their fellowship, and walk with the Lord. Who would want to do that? So this this caveat put at the end of this passage of Scripture that is loaded with information for the man brings me to my last point this, this, uh, this morning, and it's this, that the husband should have a commitment to maintain a spiritual atmosphere with her in the home. It's his job to do that, all right? And if he doesn't, if he does not do that, then the Bible does say this in our passage, that his prayers will not be hindered. If a husband's prayers suffer interruption, it is because of a non-functioning marriage. So for you men, it affects your spiritual life. And it means, to hinder means that it cuts in on, that's what the word means, to cut in on the flow of your spiritual growth in the Lord, and the power that you receive from God to actually live that life. It's severely crippled. And your fellowship with God is severely crippled. Why? Because of the way you're treating your wife. Wow, that's pretty heavy, if you ask me. Matter of fact, that should cause men to get on their faces and repent this morning before they walk out the door and say, I need to change my ways with my wife. 
because I want the blessing of God in my home. When I get down on my face, when I get to prayer, I want God to listen to me. I want the ear of God all the time in my life. And what could cut that off? Don't treat your wife right. That's what will cut it off. And God is serious about that. A husband who treats his wife in a wrong way will himself be unfit to pray. Matter of fact, one commentator says this, not only will he be unfit to pray, he will scarcely pray at all. His worship in the congregation also will be equally affected. Matter of fact, when that happens, he's not so interested in spiritual things. He doesn't know the power of God on his life anymore. Doesn't mean he lost his salvation. That's not what it's talking about here. I didn't say that he lost his relationship with God. I, saw he, I said that he, he, his fellowship, his walk with God is cut in on by his bad behavior to his wife. Now, you have to ask yourself this question, why is that even in the Bible? Why is, why is it here for men? This one passage of Scripture, man, you can put this on the wall, right? And you can look at it every day and ask yourself, man, am I doing these things? And then correct where you need to correct. Why? For one motivation at least, that your prayers will not be cut off by God. Now, because of the husband's neglect of his wife, God chooses to ignore his prayers. It doesn't mean that God doesn't hear. It means that God chooses to ignore your prayers. That's what he chooses to do. So husbands, you have here in this passage because of how you treat your wife either are going to be bring results results of blessing or results where your prayers are cut off so you have to consider why are my prayers not answered Husbands, you cannot be right with God and not right with your wife. You're one flesh. You cannot be right with God and be right with your wife and not be right with your wife. You stay right with God when you're right with your wife because of who she is, because of what God made her to be because of your responsibility as the head of your home. That's why. And God is serious about keeping men responsible. Listen, look at this verse of Scripture right here. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. So what the Lord is talking about, what, what the Apostle Peter is talking about here, is righteous behavior in the home by the husband. And as long as my behavior is not perfect, I'm not saying perfection here, but my behavior is a forward movement in holiness and righteousness that I am considering 
these principles as a husband, and I am adjusting what I need to adjust in my life and in my home so my wife is honored like this, so she is treated as a fragile vessel, so she is a joint understanding, and she is a joint heir with me in my salvation and with my relationship to God. If I shoot myself in the foot, or if I shoot her in the foot, I'm shooting myself in the foot. That's the point. If I hurt her with words, I'm hurting me. See, that's it. You cannot be one and do harm to that one and not be affected yourself. See, dissension, dissensions prevent the united prayers on which many of God's blessings depend. She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be cut in on by God. I always say this in, in, our, in our marriage, uh, usually wedding ceremonies. I love this passage of Scripture. It says this, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Right? So, men, the day that you found that good thing, you receive favor from the Lord, but every day that passage of Scripture should mean something to you, that it is God's will that you be this kind of man. The wife is the helper. She is not the leader. The wife is the subordinate one. She is not the head. The wife is the delicate and prized vessel. She is not the protector. And the leader in the home, the man is. The man is. And men, this is a very convicting passage of Scripture. I, the first time I read this in Scripture, I was, I was, I was floored. I was, I was walking in circles. I was saying to myself, man, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> the way I treat my wife, God's not going to listen to me. I need to change some things here. I mean, things need to be corrected, right? Let's be honest with ourselves, man. Sometimes we do not treat our wives the way we should. And, it, of course, wives, you got it last week. This week, men are getting it, Right? And uh, there's always a passage of Scripture for both. But this morning, I, I would say, if, just in light of Mother's Day, in light of women, uh, you know what? Uh, the Word of God uplifts women to their proper place, right, and gives them dignity. The world treats women, even today, the, way, the world treats women horribly. Uh, they exploit women. They misuse women. Look at all the, the scandals that are going on in our news today, right? It's, what is it about? It's about how men have abused women, right? Well, you know what? That should not be in the church. We have, we're, we're to be the model, us. It has to start in our homes, in our relationships. And in doing that, what are we going to do? We're going to have an opportunity and an open door to share the gospel with that young couple that just got married, and they really don't know what they're doing yet, 
and, and you've been around for the block a little bit, and you can come alongside them, and you can say, listen, this is what God taught me from the Word of God. In fact, this is, the Scriptures is very helpful to come alongside with men and say, listen, this is what God taught me. Let me teach you, right? And then they put it into practice, and then see, the church just gets stronger when homes and relationships are stronger. I believe that the only thing that's holding back the end, the end coming is that God has left the church here, and the church is holding back the mystery of iniquity. It's abounding, but the church is holding it back. Once the church is gone, well, that's when all hell breaks loose, honestly. So this morning, I hope you know the Lord as your personal Savior, that you come and trusted him as your Lord and Savior, and want to follow him, and want to learn the word of God so you can put these things into practice. And men, maybe this is the first time you're hearing this. Maybe you heard it before, but it really never impacted you. And today is the first day that's impacting you. I pray today that you would take these things and actually live them out every day until your wife takes notice. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning. Lord, these passages of Scripture are, I must admit, very convicting. They slice like a razor blade into our souls. But yet, Lord, they also have a healing effect because they're transforming our mind to think in a way that honors God and in a way that I can actually do these things in my home and reap the benefits of them. And I can, as a man, I can be someone who knows God listens to me because I am treating my wife correctly and I'm working on it every day. And that my wife is learning to submit to me. But I know, Lord, when we treat our wives right and we love them like you love the church, submission is not the hard part. Matter of fact, it comes quite naturally. So this morning, Lord, do what you need to do today with the Word of God and continue to work on our hearts so we can become these men, these kind of men who want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and honor you with our relationship that you have given with our wives. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. Mm-hmm.